Thank you. Good morning. Uh, it's uh, lovely to be with you. Thank you for your invitation. Um, <laughs> and uh, thank you for, for the offering of your footwear, which um, is very kind of you. I, I'm assuming it's you're communicating that you think that where you're sitting is holy and where I'm standing isn't. Is that right? Okay. I'm not going to disagree with that. Um, we're thinking this week uh, in these three chapels about how the gospel is good news for our bodies. Um, last summer, a friend of mine was on vacation in a beautiful part of the world, and he, he texted a message that said, I'm heading to the beach today, and I'm going to need your prayers. And if you didn't know him, you might think he's just kind of being a jerk and trying to rub in the fact that he's on vacation and you're not. But I knew my friend well enough to know that he was being serious and that his message was genuine. Uh, what was troubling him was that he was heading to the beach and he hated his body. And he was going with a couple of friends, he said, who could have passed for male models, which didn't help. And he was feeling very self-conscious and increasingly anxious, and hence his message. And I mention that because I don't think my friend is alone. Uh, none of us has an entirely straightforward relationship with our bodies. Uh, many struggle with some aspect or another of, of how we look, um, whether we are men or women, whether we're younger or older, we are facing this, it seems, more and more. All of us have some sense of what we're supposed to look like. Uh, when it comes to our bodies, all of us are followers. Someone is determining how we should feel about the way that we look. Someone is calling the shots. Someone is setting the standards. It might be your, your peer group. It might be your family, it might be Hollywood, it might be social media, it might be advertising, but all of us are following someone's standard of what we're meant to look like, and it's not making us happier. So my assumption generally as a, as a Christian is to think that whatever we're talking about in life, Jesus is going to be good news for it. So when it comes to this issue of our bodies and how we feel about our bodies, how is Jesus good news for this? And I want to frame these three chapel messages with a, a verse that comes in in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's in verse 13 where Paul says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. That was part of what was going on with the people he was writing to. But for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So Paul is saying, the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. And I want to spend these three chapel messages just unpicking what that means for, for the Lord to be for our bodies and for our bodies to be for the Lord. So we're going to begin uh, this morning just by thinking, what does it mean in terms of the fact that we've been created? Our bodies are created. They're not just randomly assembled. They are created. Tomorrow we're going to think about how our bodies are broken. And then on Wednesday, we'll think about how our bodies belong to Jesus. And I'm, I'm looking forward... <laughs> to sharing with you why it is such wonderful news that our bodies now belong to Jesus. Because if our bodies belong to Jesus, the only person our bodies need to please is Jesus. And that is good news. But this morning, we're going to think about how our bodies are created. And I just want to share three things in, in this particular message. The first is your body is a gift. Secondly, your body is you. And then thirdly, your body is gendered. I'm really going to really scratch the surface of these things this morning. Um, 
we've got that session tonight if you want to come back and ask some questions about some of those things. But firstly, your body is a gift. And I want to begin by reading some familiar verses from Psalm 139. You will have heard these verses, I'm sure, in discussions about um, pro-life issues and that kind of stuff, but they apply more broadly than that. Uh, King David is, is saying these words as a prayer to God. He says, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And then he says, I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. David says, I, I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So God is not neutral when it comes to, to human bodies. He's made several billion of them by now. Apparently, he enjoys making human bodies. And Psalm 139 shows us we're not mass-produced. We're handcrafted. Um, someone asked me a while back what the word artisan meant. And I said, I've never actually looked up the definition, but experience tells me it means kind of overpriced and often lumpy or misshapen or something. Um, apparently, it means, you know, handcrafted. That's what artisan means, in which case God is an artisan. Our bodies are artisanal. They are individually handcrafted. David says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. There's something hands-on and involved and intricate and careful and intentional about that kind of language. Which means that our, our, our bodies are not just something we're stuck with, they are a gift from God above. And it also means this, and I know this is a, a, a tender issue for, for a number of us. God did mean to make you. Some of us might well be aware that perhaps we were not intended by our parents. I've got a few friends who, who know that that was the case. In some cases, it's a kind of a family joke. In other cases, it, it's actually a cause of very deep pain. But whether you were expected or not by your parents, no one is a mistake to God. No one is an accident to him. If you are here, God meant to make you. That doesn't mean our, our bodies are perfect. David is, is saying this prayer as a, as a sinful man with, with a broken body. But David could still say of his fallen body that it's been fearfully and wonderfully made. That word fearfully is, is interesting to me because I think it means that if we could actually see all that went into God's creating of our physical selves, it would blow our minds, it would give us chills. I see something of this when I see kind of a, a brand new parent, you know, holding their child for the first time. I've seen this a few times where, where the dad is kind of carrying the newborn out of the hospital and, and trying to get the car seat ready and, you know, and he's, he's holding this, this little bundle like it's an unexploded bomb. There's this kind of reverence and, and fearfulness because he's aware of the wonder of what he's holding. And that sense of wonder should remain. Every single person you, you see around you this morning has been fearfully and wonderfully made. Every single person we, we see around us is, is worthy of our respect. Their bodies are worthy of our honoring. And that includes our own. Our bodies are a gift. They may not be the gift we would have wanted. 
It may not be what we would have chosen. But it's the body God wanted us to have. It's part of what makes us who we are. Which leads to my, my second point. Your, the body is sexu- um, sorry, your body is you. Your body is a gift. Your body is you. We, we tend to assume today that the real me is the spirit or the soul inside. And, and my body is simply the, the lump of flesh I carry around with me. It's the blank canvas on which I project my identity. Or in some cases, even paint my identity. Because in and of itself, we think that the body doesn't intrinsically convey my identity. I need to impose my identity onto it. But the Bible gives us a a very different understanding. The Bible shows us not just that you have a body, but that you are a body. And if you've got a a Bible to hand, come with me to Genesis chapter 2 and the creation of Adam. Uh, Familiar verses, I'm sure, to us. Um, And this is where I can be quite confident, not knowing what version or edition you have, and say, it will be page 2. Genesis chapter 2, the creation of Adam in verse 7 is very telling. This is what we read. This is what we read. The Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. So in other words, God took the matter, made it into Adam and breathed life into it and animated that matter and it became a living thing. What Genesis 2 doesn't tell us is that God made a soul called Adam and then looked around for something physical to put that soul into, as if the body is just a a container, just a, a piece of Tupperware or something. No, he makes the body first and then animates it. And so we're not to think of ourselves as imprisoned souls, but as animated flesh. Which means two things as we think about our identity. It means, firstly, our our bodies aren't everything. And secondly, that our bodies aren't nothing. Our bodies aren't everything. We we kind of know that instinctively. And there's that amazing passage in, in 1 Samuel 16 where we're done with King Saul and and now it's that that was the people's choice of king now it's going to be God's choice of king but interestingly God doesn't just say to Samuel hey the next king's going to be David just to you know FYI that's what's going on instead he kind of sets up this kind of bizarre game show style you've got to travel down to Jesse's house it's going to be one of Jesse's boys you're going to see the boys and then I'm going to let you know which one it is it kind of turns into a sort of reality TV game show type thing. So Samuel's there, Jesse's sons are are all kind of lined up, and the first one looks tall and and just really kingly. And so Samuel's like, well, yeah, this this is the guy, obviously. He can, you know, he would look great on a a stamp. He's got the, the looks of a king. And God says, no, it's, it's not him, actually. And he runs through all the sons, and it's not any of them. And, and Samuel is forced to kind of have an awkward conversation with Jesse, a, a bit like you do if you're looking for the right kind of size in a, in a clothing store. He said, have you, got, have you got anything else out the back? And Samuel said, have you got any other, any other sons out there somewhere? And he said, well, there's David. We didn't even bother bringing David out, but David's still in the field. And David, as we know, is the one who's the king. And the moral of the story is what all of this is building up to 
is 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, where the Lord says to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. This is speaking about one of the other sons. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In other words, the outward appearance isn't all there is to us. And if all we see is the outward appearance, we are missing much of what there is about the person we're thinking about. If we only look at the outside and the physical, we have a very limited and incomplete picture of who somebody is. We know that. There is more to us than our physicality. There's more to us than our bodies. Our body is not everything. But then similarly, our, our body is not nothing either. We can't properly understand who we are without reference to our bodies. We can't think of ourselves as, as being independent in our essence from our bodies. Um, you may well know that the movie Avatar and the, the sequels that are apparently on their way to us now, and, and part of the unspoken assumption behind the movie Avatar is that you can inhabit not just a different body, but a body even of a totally different species, and it doesn't really affect your identity. It doesn't affect who you are, because the assumption is the body is simply a costume. And so you, you can switch it out for another one. It doesn't actually affect who you are. Or we often hear the kind of cliche if we're watching a movie and, and someone's caught having an affair, they might say to their spouse, well, it didn't mean anything, it was just physical. And again, the implication being that there's, there's such a distance between the real me and my body that what's done with my body doesn't actually matter. But the Bible shows us that's not the case. If, if something involves our bodies, it really does matter. If, if, someone, if someone mistreats your body, they are mistreating you. They're not just mistreating your property, they are mistreating you. And so when somebody says, well, it didn't mean anything, it was just physical, the response is no, it means something precisely because it was physical. Physicality means something. Uh, that passage in, in 1 Corinthians 6 I open with, we'll look at this a bit more on Wednesday, but as, as Paul goes on, he actually uses the words you and your body interchangeably. So our bodies are not everything. There's, there's more to us than our bodies, but our bodies are not nothing. We are our bodies. So your body is a gift. Your body is you. And then here's the third thing for us, and again, we can only kind of scratch the surface of this, your, your body is gendered, your body is sexual. Now, the whole concept of gender identity is, is you know, it's, that's not a kind of category the Bible uses in the way that we do. But nevertheless, there are certain things we see in the opening verses of the, of the Bible that help us to think through some of these issues. So again, if you want to come with me to, to Genesis 1, page 1, um, Genesis 1, verse 27, where, again, we know these verses well, I'm sure. Uh, we're given that account of the creation of humanity. In Genesis 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what do we learn about our, our gender, about this whole concept of gender identity from these verses? Well, just 
four really quick things, and we're gonna have to, to sort of be a bit superficial here. The first thing to notice that in as much as gender identity is a, is a useful category to, to employ, Genesis 1 verse, 20 with verse 27 would say firstly that our gender identity is embodied. When the scripture here talks about God creating us as male and female, it is speaking in terms of our physical creation. Maleness and femaleness here are, are physically determined, not psychologically perceived. There's a biological reality to being male and a biological reality to being female. Uh, secondly, we see in Genesis 1 verse 27 that there's a, there's a pairing here. It, it's a twofold category, male and female. We're, we're given two sexes, we're not given more than that. Now, this is a massive area. I know there's a, there's a lot of things to say on this. I just want to pick out, again, sorry to be jumping around at the scriptures here, but if you, if you want to come with me to Matthew chapter 19, I just want to highlight two things that Jesus says here that I think will help us with some of the questions that we might have. Uh, two things in, in Matthew 19. Jesus says in the, the space of just a few, a few short verses, in, in Matthew 19 verse 4, Jesus is asked a question about divorce, and he, he says in verse 4, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He's referring back there to Genesis 1 verse 27. And notice what Jesus says. He doesn't say, have you read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? Jesus says, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. In other words, as far as Jesus is concerned, male and female are still in play as the categories in which God makes us. Jesus is reaffirming the fact that we are made male and female. Whatever else the fall has obliterated or complicated, it hasn't overturned the fact that God makes us male and female. But just a few verses later, Jesus says in verse 12, he says, there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. Uh, eunuchs were, were, were men who lacked the physical capacity for reproduction. They didn't have all the anatomical kits you would expect them to have. And Jesus gets that. Jesus knows there will be some who are born with complications. There will be some who are born in a way where they don't fully fit the categories of male and female in a way that's straightforward. And so when we encounter people in that situation, if, if we are someone in that situation, we can know that Jesus sees us. That Jesus had us in mind. Some are born eunuchs. The fact that God made us male and female means, it doesn't mean there's never any complexity physically. It doesn't mean everything's always straightforward. But similarly, the fact that some are born eunuchs doesn't mean we're not made male and female. The reality of eunuchs in Matthew 19 is, is not presented as a third sex. Both of these things are true. God makes us male and female, and in this broken, fallen world, sometimes there is a physical complexity to the way that we've been made. Uh, back to, to Genesis chapter 1, as we uh, sort of tie up a few loose ends. 
Uh, the third thing we can see about our gender identity here is that it's foundational. Um, it's stressed at the very point when God wants to highlight the fact he's making now a creature in his own image. He foregrounds the fact that we're made male and female. Our maleness and femaleness is relevant to how we image God. We are not the only creatures on this world to be male and female. We are the only creatures in this planet where our maleness and femaleness has this level of significance. It's bound up with how we image God. We need each other's maleness and femaleness for all of us to better image God. Which means, fourthly, our, our sense of, of gender and how God has made us is good. It's part of God's good gift to us that he's made us as men and women. Uh, Tim Keller once wrote that each gender has its own unique and non-interchangeable glory. Each is able to see things and do things that the other cannot as easily. We need each other. And again, even in our, our kind of very confused secular culture, we see something of this. If there's some massive multinational company and it's revealed that their, their board is entirely composed of, of men, there's an outcry. People say, no, no, you, you need to have a female voice in the room. There's something about the presence of a, of a woman that won't be replaced by the addition of even more men. We need each other. And that needing of each other, that sense of interplay between male and female being a mutual blessing is why in the Bible marriage is between a man and a woman. Because if it's true of a boardroom that it's healthy to have male and female perspectives in there, even more is that the case when it comes to human marriage. That's raising lots of questions, I know, and um, I hope we can get to some of those. But I want to close just by encouraging us uh, to leave this, this building really where David was in Psalm 139. David said, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So here's something for us to think about uh, through the, the rest of this week. Our createdness by God is a reason for us to praise God. So something for each of us to, to work on, and, and I know that each of us has some measure of pain because of our bodies. We'll, we'll get to that tomorrow. But maybe something each of us can try to do each morning for the rest of this week, whatever your kind of morning routine is, when you look at yourself in the mirror in the bathroom, is to think, I can praise God because of what I see in the mirror. Okay, irrespective of, of how you feel about what you see in the mirror, you can thank God for your physical life. however painful you may feel about it. David says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And my friends, please don't hate what God loves. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that we would know ourselves to be fearfully and wonderfully made. that we have physical life today because of you, because you want us to be here. Help us to receive our physicality with 
with thanksgiving, however we feel about the way that we look and the, and the way our bodies work or don't work, we pray, Lord, that we would praise you for your creation of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.